0: you know in ancient Jewish cultures, here's what we should do, did you know this in ancient Jewish cultures, that the teacher would sit and everybody else would stand, so we're going to start a new practice at our church. <laughs> <laughs> Sermons will get longer and less people will show up. Um, Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, we are, we have been going through the book of Matthew, but we're going to take a little pause today. So if you want to get ahead, we're going to be in Joshua. So it's in the Old Testament. Um, You can find your way to Joshua. If you need to use Table of Contents, don't feel bad. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, which you should have on every device that you own, here's a little uh, cheater secret. Okay? Um, when you go to the Bible table of contents, you could choose to have it in like the normal table of contents, or you can have it done alphabetically. <laughs> You'll be the fastest to find any book ever, as long as you know your alphabet, which I guess is assuming some details about us. Um, but hey, I'm glad you're here. I, I got some good news. I got some good news. You ready for the good news? Um, so, uh, November and December. We did this campaign called the Zero Campaign. If you haven't been around for November and December and you didn't know about it, I'm not going to recap all the details, but I'll just tell you our goal. Our goal was to raise a total of $120,000, a total of $120,000, um, which is over November and December, which is $30,000 more than our budgeted expenses. And the goal was to raise thirty thousand dollars to do some work on the building over there, so that we could have the opportunity to have zero facility costs in somewhere between six and nine years. Okay, so that's the that's the goal. Okay, so we're gonna need some participation here from at least a couple people who are gonna be bold. Okay, I want to ask you this question: If um, I stood up here today and I gave you a number uh, that we raised, and you said, "That's good," like that, yeah, that seems that seems right, that seems good. Go people, go. What would, what would that number be? Someone toss out a number. $45,000? $45, $45,000 more, okay, so $45,000 more, so $135,000. That'd be, yeah, I mean that's 50% more than we needed to raise above and beyond our normal income. Um, you, you know how much we, we did raise? Um, almost $180,000. Isn't that nuts? That's amazing! And here's the deal, okay? You're just clapping for yourself, because it's all because of you guys, right? Um, God opens doors and opportunities for us, but we have to be willing to take the, the sacrifices to step through. And I'm so grateful to continue to be a part of a church that just leans out in generosity. And so what, what you're going to see, you're going to start seeing. If you go down our kids' wing, you'll already see that the daycare has moved into our kids' wing um, for the next couple months. They're hopeful that they're going to get all their construction done um, and get moved into the other building in April. <laughs> Anybody done construction recently? Um, we're hoping by like June or July, um, but you'll see them. The you know they've taken a bunch of the classrooms and we've redone stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they'll be in there. And then you're going to start seeing some construction go on in the other building. Some of it's going to be on our dollar and some will be on theirs um, to get it ready. And um, and. You know, I mean, it, it's the first step to getting us towards this place of having zero facility cost, which will be an absolute game changer for us, and by extension, the community that we're a part of. And so thank you very much for so many of your sacrifices um, to make this happen. Uh, okay, so you got your Bible? Um, Joshua, let me, let me read to you. Um, Joshua, there we go. Um, See, my Bible's not in alphabetical order. I have to find it. So Joshua, here we go. Joshua 24 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read a a couple passages to you, and and then we're going to chat. And and my hope today is that we can really kind of be honest with ourselves, that we be honest with ourselves. Because here's one of the things that I know. Um, Today is January 9th. Did you know that? Which means that we're at nine days into the year. That's why we call it January 9th. Which also means that a lot of you set uh, New Year's resolutions about nine days ago, and about 90% of them have failed already, right? Which means, here's the really great blessing of this week. We have an opportunity to step aside from the rhythm and the hype and the pressure to fix our lives and to make 2022 a better year and just to be honest with ourselves, so, my, my hope today is that you can be honest with yourself. There's gonna be a great temptation today to say, Oh, you know who needs to hear this? Oh, I I I know, I know about that person, and I know this person needs that, and there's gonna be a great temptation. But I wanna encourage you today just to sit with yourself and to be honest with yourself. Because until we're honest with ourselves, we can expect nothing to change. So here we go. Joshua. Joshua twenty four. It's it's the very end of Joshua's life, okay. Um, Very end of Joshua's life, and Joshua is an interesting character. Joshua was likely born in Egypt, Um, Hebrew people enslaved in Egypt four hundred years. God delivers them through with Moses, incredible things God does, and he leads them through the Red Sea and he leads them out into the wilderness, and and um, Joshua. Um, is an adult in the wilderness. And in fact, at one point, at the very beginning of the wilderness season, God sends Joshua and 11 other men into the promised land. And, he, and here's what God's trying to do in sending them into the promised land. He's not trying to trap them. What God's trying to do in sending them into the promised land is he wants them to see and look around and he wants them to come back and report to the people and say, <gasps> it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, oh, <laughs> Yeah, they're big, and their defenses are big, but, but our God's bigger, right? But instead, what happens is 10 of them come back, and they go, Oh, we could never succeed. We're all going to die, right? But Joshua's one of the two, and he's the voice who says, No, 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 they're big, but our God is bigger. So they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses, who's been the leader for, this, for, for decades now, dies just before they're going to go into the promised land, and Joshua's the one who leads them across the Jordan River into the promised land. Joshua, you know the song? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Oh, good. I was worried that some of you didn't grow up in church. Okay, right? We all know this song, right? He was there for all this, right? This is the end of his life. Kind of last words, he's 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 great grandpa to the generation. He's the only leader that many of them have known. And these are his parting words to them, okay? It says this, verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, you've seen this on a coffee cup, around someone's house, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So even to his dying day, you, you see this incredible man of faith who had seen God do incredible things. And he's, he's, he's admonishing the people to make a choice. And that, that's really what I want to encourage you to do today is to make a choice. Hey, Joshua, Joshua asked them to serve the Lord, but in the end, he says, he says, like, at least just be honest with yourself and decide. Are you going to serve those other gods, or are you going to serve the Lord? You decide today. Judges, turn, probably if you're holding your Bible, probably just like one page. Judges 2, okay? Judges 2 skips to the end of all of Joshua's um, uh, admonitions, and and it says this, verse 6, "'When Joshua had dismissed the people, "'the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance "'to possess the land. "'The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua "'and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, "'who had seen all the great work of the Lord "'which he had done for Israel.'" Now, when you read that, initially you might go, well, that's good, right? It, it, it just said that they served the Lord. Like, that's, that's a good thing that they served the Lord. They, they served the Lord for all that time. But did you notice what the writer includes? He, he includes a time stamp. They served the Lord for as long as Joshua and the other elders lived, it just takes one generation from Joshua and, and the parting the Red Sea and the wilderness and manna every day and parting the Jordan and conquering these great armies. It just takes one generation before we begin to get this hint, this like weird thing that's going on that, that the author wants us to see that, that like almost the next generation is just living vicariously through the faith of the previous generation. They knew the stories of what God had done, and and they'd heard God do incredible things, but they were all the stories of the elders and Joshua and past generations, that there begins to be some distance and disconnect. Now, now skip down just a couple verses, get to verse 10. Look at this. Sometimes the Bible moves really fast. Sometimes the Bible moves really slow, but we go from the end of Joshua to Judges 2, verse 10, and we're into our third generation, because it says this, all that generation— were gathered to their fathers. They all died. And there rose another generation after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They did not know the Lord nor the work he had done for Israel. Three generations. Joshua Devoted, served the Lord all of his days. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Next generation served as long as those who had seen God do mighty works lived. Third generation, they don't even know him. This, this happens all the time. In fact, another great example another great example for you is um, David, King David, right? King David was a mess. Did you know that? You should be encouraged when you read King David's story because he was a busted mess. And yet, what does Scripture say about it? It says, King David, that, that he was a man after God's own heart. That what he wanted to do was to honor and serve God. He didn't always do it perfect. He didn't always do it right. That's not what following Jesus is about. But he wanted to, right? So you have King David, and then the next son, you know, his, son, his, his son's name was Solomon. Now, Solomon, in a lot of ways, was a great king. Solomon did a lot of great things. In fact, early on, God asked him, and he says, what do you want from me? Ask me anything, and I'll give you anything. And it, and it says that Solomon asked for wisdom. And God says, because you didn't ask for these other things, I'm going to give you all these other things and wisdom, right? Like, that's a good thing to want to be humble, to want wisdom, to know how to serve and to lead people. Scripture says that he was the wisest Man to ever live, and and huge chunks of his life, Solomon did incredible, great things in serving the Lord. So under Solomon's leadership, they built the temple. Under Solomon's leadership, the nation pursued God, and it was a great nation. But, but um, um you, you you remember um Solomon's wives? Oh, and then and then um uh, you, you remember Solomon's concubines? which are kind of like part-time wives, hundreds. So much of Solomon's life was in line with honoring God and was following God, and yet there was this massive part of who he was, his sexual ethic, that diverged away from God, just like that other generation, second generation. And then, do you know who Solomon's son was? Solomon's son was a man named Rehoboam. Rehoboam actually led the people of Israel in rebellion and worship of idols. David, Solomon, Rehoboam, just the third. It happens all the time. There's this guy, he wrote a book, his name's Bruce Wilkinson, and, and um, he, he said, you see this pattern happen over and over, and in fact, you still see it in ourselves today. You, you see these, these seasons that we sit in, and, and, and don't get too caught up in one single seat because a lot of times we float between these seats in our life, but he said that all of us will find ourselves in one of these seats, and in, um, in this seat over here, you know, the third generation, Rehoboam, and in this seat Solomon, the, the second generation, in this seat David, and Joshua. And the question I want to ask you today, I want to get real practical, and it may get real uncomfortable because of it, what I want to ask you today is, what seat do you sit in? Maybe just as importantly, I want you to think on this too. What seat do you want to sit in? In 12 months, when we wrap up another year... And we go through all kinds of um, arbitrary celebrations of new beginnings in a new year. What seat do you want to be sitting in? There's this seat. Joshua and David, there's this seat. Um, when, when you see this seat, I want you to think of the word commitment. Commitment. It is a commitment to sit on a stool, right? Have you ever tried sitting on a stool very long? There's a reason bars put stools in. Did you know that? Because then they turn tables over, because nobody sits in a stool very long, right? It takes, you have to like maintain some balance, you have to use a little bit of ab work, or for some of us, a lot of bit of ab work, um, you can't fall asleep, in a, I mean you can fall asleep in a stool, but then someone's going to call a paramedic, um, when your head bounces off the concrete, right? You, it takes some work, it, you, you have to be, it's a little uncomfortable, you have to decide. You have to make a commitment. That's what Joshua did. That's what David did. This seat here. The word I want you to think of when you this word. Oh, I love this seat. I love this seat. This um this seat sits in the lobby. And on some weeks, if you come by um, during the week and I've got a lot of meetings, I might be doing a lot of meetings in the lobby, and um, I might sit in this chair all day. I just love this chair. There's something just right about this chair that just like cuts right on my leg just right and the height of it, like there's no strain on my knees and my shoulder. Uh, how old do I sound that I'm talking about the comfort of a chair, right? Just, it's just right. Um, it's like a good Ikea chair though too because it is from Ikea. I had to tighten up all the Allen wrenches before I brought it on stage because it just slowly loosens, you know? But the word I want you to think of when you sit here is the word compromise. Compromise. Or comfort a generation of people with feet in both sides, uh, in and out. A people with familiarity who know the right words and know the right things to say, who want to serve God, but it doesn't always turn out that way. And, and then here, um, this, this chair, good little camping chair, um, I want you to think of the word complacency. I, there's something about sitting in one of these chairs that just strips you of any motivation to do anything, right? Like you just sit in this chair and all you want to do is roast marshmallows. Anybody else? Like this probably smells like a fire. It's just, it's perfect. It just holds your body just right, but it just, like I'm just, I've fallen asleep in chairs like this, right? Complacency. And, and I don't mean complacency like just in everything. In fact, some of the most driven people in life sit in this chair, some of the most accomplished people in life sit in this chair. What I mean in complacency is in your relationship with God. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online just because someone else drug you along, and, and you'd honestly find yourself in the seat where you just don't really care. Showing up to church, watching church online is something you do just to get by and to not be bothered by the inconvenience of the argument of not wanting to go, and and you've just Whatever, I don't care, I'll sit there, it's, you know, whatever, football's on later, right? Three chairs, where do you sit? Complacency, compromise, or commitment? I I, I want to give you some practical things to think about that will maybe help you understand what it looks like to sit in these chairs differently. Uh, The first one is this, is the question of um, who gets to make the decisions in your life? Who gets to make the decisions? On this end, if you sit in this chair, when you sit in this chair, a chair of complacency, um, you get to make the decisions, Right? And I don't mean that in, in like, a selfish way. This, this, like, straw man argument we've created that every person who doesn't know Jesus is, is fully and uh, completely selfish and all they want is to gratify all of their wants and desires is just a straw man argument. I just mean, like, you have autonomy. You have self-dignity. You get to decide. You sort out the answers. You get to decide. That you get to make the decisions. If you sit here... This, this is a seat of compromise. There, there's, there's tension. There's tension in your life between who gets to make decisions because sometimes like Solomon, you want to make the right decision. Sometimes like Solomon, you know the right decision you're supposed to make, but there's also this other tension going on in you where, where you kind of want to make the decision. I think that maybe, um, you, you know, you may, if you sit in this chair, you may, you may think to yourself, this may be something you think you think, you know, most of the time, I do what honors God. But sometimes, sometimes, you know, there's these places, there's these corners, but it's just like 5% of my life. It's just 3%. It's just a corner. Here, here's what I'd ask you. I want you to be honest with yourself. If you weren't a follower of Jesus, would any of those decisions that you claim are in obedience and following Jesus, would you make a different decision? Would you be like, well, since I don't follow Jesus now, I'm just gonna be a jerk and cut people off in the street. I'm just going to punch my neighbor in the face. Or would you still decide to, to be a good neighbor, to be polite, to say please and thank you? Like how many of the decisions, if you sit in this seat, honestly, are really changed, different because you follow Jesus? So if you sit in this seat, this seat of commitment, this is Joshua, this is David, this is God sits in the seat. God makes the decisions. God, God gets to decide, and, and sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes you don't want to do those things. In fact, it brings us to another thing, is, is about the Bible, is your view on the Bible. The, the people who sit in this chair, um, when it comes to Scripture, uh, they own a Bible. Or at least grandma owns a Bible, right? Someone you know, you've seen a Bible, you know how to spell the word Bible, right? If you sit in this seat, If you sit in this seat, here's the the funny word, here's the interesting um, observation is if you sit in this seat, it's a seat of compromise, um, kind of two feet in both worlds, a little distant is um, you respect the Bible. And, And here's the thing, here's an interesting observation I've had. Some of the people who get most upset about Bible translations and translation stuff and people talking about the Bible and the Bible being messy are the people who sit in this seat because you see respect creates distance. And so you may have great reverence for the Bible, but you have no intimacy with the Bible. In fact, um, uh, Borna did a study a couple years ago. I assume it's not much different. And they said that only 8% of self professing Christians, okay? So you get to mark the, you get to decide. Only 8% said that they regularly read anything out of their Bible. Miss the Word of God, right? It's the Word of God. Word of God speaks. It's the Word of God. Have great respect. Don't put it on the ground. Don't drop it. Take care of it. It's the Word of God. You have great respect. But respect and reverence create distance. People who sit in this chair, God is King. Makes decisions. The Scripture is one of the great ways that God speaks to you. And so, for people who sit in this chair, their relationship with Scripture is submission. Isn't that a fun word? Are we all happy? submission. I was talking with a, a good friend of mine. He's really smart, and uh, um, he studies Scripture. Like, that's his job is to study Scripture, and, and we were having this conversation about th- there are plenty of times in life where you come to something in Scripture, and you don't like it. Did, did you know that that's okay? Did you know that, like, you can read something in the Bible and be like, well, I think that's stupid. Do you know that's Okay. And he said, you, you read things, you're like, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want it to be that way, right? And he, and he said, it's one thing when it affects you, right? When God speaks through those scriptures and he tells you to do something, you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. But then God kind of works on you and works on your soul. It's a whole nother different thing when you're responsible for teaching people the scriptures and it says something that you adamantly believe is excessively clear in scripture, but it impacts others, but it doesn't impact you in the same way that's a hard word to carry, right? And, 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 and this man, if you know him, he, he speaks with such empathy and care for people. And he said, I have these conversations with people. I always have them one-on-one. And, and I just tell them, I say, hey, um, I don't know why the Bible says this. In fact, if I was to write the Bible, it wouldn't be in there. I don't like it. I don't want it to be in there. But it's what it says. And I believe God's smarter than I am, so I have to submit when was the last time you read something in Scripture that you didn't like, that you didn't want it to be that way, and yet you chose to submit in obedience to God? There's another set of words. People hear Scripture would say if you sit in the seat of complacency, would say that they're in rebellion. You know, a lot of times the words we'll use is just don't know, don't care, apathetic. Scripture says that apart from Christ, we are in rebellion to God, that that's what the third generation did, right? We just read it in Judges, that they rebelled and they worshiped idols. Rehoboam led people in rebellion, people who sit here in the seat of compromise, um, their relationship with God is defined by religion, Defined by religion, I do the right practices, I do the right steps, I say the right words, no different than witchcraft. If I put the right things in the potion box and mix it all together and papooey, and it works, right? Religion. Um, the people who sit in this chair, the chair of commitment, um, would define it, their connection with God as a relationship. An interaction, intimacy, a knowing back and forth. And yes, just like in any other relationship, there are seasons of of abundance and there are seasons of drought and there are seasons where it's easy and there are seasons where it's hard, but it's a relationship. You see, the difference, the, the huge significant difference between these two seats is this, is religion and relationship. Religion says, I do the right things to convince God I'm worthy. I do what he tells me to do so I can earn my spot. I get, we used to call when I did college ministry, we kind of joke with one another. we say, hey, you get 17 heaven points for that. You get 24 heaven points. You're going to sit a little closer, right, that we do to earn. And some of you um, don't use those words, but all it means to be a follower of Jesus is duty and responsibility, over here relationship a relationship is reciprocating is, is is reciprocating to affection that that in a relationship there's intimacy because you're responding to what God is doing in you that 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 you're interacting with him that you're receiving and giving there is no need to earn God's love before you were born, thousands of years, before you were a a speck in your parents' eyes, God said these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Before you were even a thought in anyone's mind, God loved you in the fullness of all of who he is. another differentiation if you haven't been able to figure out where you sit yet in these three. Um, another good one is our jobs, our jobs. Uh, um, whether you have a job you get paid for or you, or you have a job you don't get paid for, um, all of us have something that we do with our days, right? Um, Here's if you sit in this chair, uh, the, the word you might use is opportunity, right? You might even talk about it in a job, opportunity, or a promotion is a job opportunity. Or it's a great opportunity to move up in the business or, or, or to, to, to get another opportunity or get more recon, recon, uh, recognition. right? It's a great opportunity. And you might see your job as an opportunity. Or maybe it's just an opportunity to go on vacation more. Because the only reason you have your job is so that, you're, so that your boss can pay for your hobbies and your trips. Right? Opportunity. Here's um, here uh, people here. Their job is a blessing. Uh Uh-oh. Just got real awkward. Because most of us have said this. (laughs) It's just a blessing from God. God's blessed us so much. And and here... um, There is a thing in Scripture, and God wants to bless you, but um, most of the time when we use that phrase, we use it completely out of context with what Scripture intends, because most of the time when we talk about a blessing, what we're referring to is that we are a container of God's goodness. But what God wants to do is bless you so that you might be a conduit. Most of the time, we, we, we think that God's blessing is so that we might be a reservoir, just overflowing with abundance of, of, of God's goodness poured into us, and we become the end result of God's blessing. But scripturally, like God's blessing is that you might be a river of His abundance poured out into the world. And so, if, for you, your job is not much different than an opportunity. It's just a Jesus-y sounding word to say blessing. It's such a blessing. You know, God's blessed us with this promotion and God's blessed us with these vacations and God's blessed us with this position. But it's really just for you. Here, here's the last one over here. Um, people who sit in this chair see their job as a calling. As a calling. As menial a job as it may be or as sophisticated as little experience or as as much accolade and degrees you have to have to have your job we all have a calling in fact the root etymology for calling is very similar to the root etymology um, for vocation that your vocation your job is a calling And people who sit in this chair see that their job is far more about what they can produce or or what they can accomplish, but their job is they're called to be missionaries into that place, that God has placed them in that place on purpose, not only to encourage and bring life and freedom and, and, and hope to the people they work with, That you've been sent out into the mission field every single time you're sent to your job. But on top of that, that whatever you are doing should be done in a way to bring about flourishing and goodness and life and freedom and dignity. That, as Scripture calls it, that you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's not something that just happens in church. In fact, more often than not, it's something that happens outside of church. That you, as you go to your job, whatever it looks like, you've been given the ministry, the responsibility, the burden of bringing reconciliation and healing of things that are broken. People who sit in this chair understand that there is an eternal weight to what they do, not just a task to be accomplished. Relationships, the, the, the last one is um, relationships. Here, um, relationships are convenience, if you're in the same sphere, if you like the same things, if you, you know, run in the same circle, um, if, if, you're, if your marriage works and is convenient, then, it, then, it, then it's here. If your relationship with your children is convenient, if everyone kind of abides by it, then, then here. Um, when it comes to children, if you're raising children uh, here, they, they, they want to have successful children. If you sit in this chair, you probably want to have success. You want them to get good grades. You want them to accomplish all that they can accomplish, whatever that looks like for your children. If you sit in this seat of compromise, it looks like contract. I think we'd all be astonished if we recognized how much of our relationships are actually contractual agreements that go unspoken. And here's what I mean. How many of your relationships are based on if you provide me this, then I will provide you this? As long as you offer me a laugh, as long as you offer me encouragement, as long as you help me in this way, then I will reciprocate and I will, but as soon as you stop being beneficial or helpful for me, then I no longer have time for you. In fact, contractual relationships is the foundation of, of objectifying. A lot of times when we hear the word objectifying, we think of it in sexual context. We objectify people all the time, all the time. Every single time you, you, you go to a restaurant and, and you get frustrated because the waiter was slow and you don't look them in the eye and recognize that they're a person, you've objectified them because they only exist to serve you dinner. That, that we objectify relationships. In marriages, we objectify that as long as you provide me what I need in my emotional support and in my physical support and all these things, then in that case, then I will reciprocate. We, we, even, we even do it with our children. As long as you don't disappoint me, as long as you don't make me look bad, as long as you help me live out my dreams that I never accomplished, then I will lavish you in affection. And people here, when it comes to children, they they want to raise good kids. You know, to grow up and be good, kind contributors to society. In this seat, in this seat, they see relationships as a covenant. As a covenant. You see, the difference between a contract and a covenant is that a contract says, my faithfulness will be determined by your faithfulness. As long as you are faithful to the contract, I will abide by the contract. But a covenant says that my faithfulness will be determined by my character. I will choose to be faithful regardless of whether you are or not. In fact, Scripture says this of God. It says, when we are faithless, isn't this good news? This is awesome. This is great news. You don't know this. This is like such good news. When we are faithless. when we're." rebellious, when we're wandering, when we're waffling, when we're compromising, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And what that means for someone who sits in this chair, it means that my faithfulness to you as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, as a sibling, as a friend, as a coworker, as a neighbor, as a fellow church member is not determined upon what you can provide for me. Was determined by my character to choose to be faithful and kind and good and gracious and forgiving in all things. In this seat, these people want to raise godly children. Here's the, here's the interesting thing that Bruce found that I think is the most weighty and uncomfortable for me as a somewhat grown adult. Is he said, "You know, people who sit in this chair, chair complacency. People who sit in this chair, um, they they tend to raise complacent children. They tend to um, lead people in complacency. They t- they tend to influence people towards complacency. Right? Not just in children, but in meaningful, intimate relationships. They tend to um, foster and raise up other people who are complacent. Right? Which seems obvious." Right? If you don't know the Lord and don't know His works and don't know His goodness, that's how you're going to raise people that, that do, right? Now, it's not the always, it's not the perfect rule. Some of you grew up in a home that had complacent parents, that didn't know God and you've been praying for Him ever since, and God did something miraculous, whether through other meaningful relationships or something, and, and He's brought you to Himself. But but most of the time, if you're a betting man, complacent people will raise or influence people into complacency. He, he, here's If you're in committed chair, most of the time, you will raise committed children or influence people into commitment as well, encourage people in their commitment as well. Here's here's the interesting thing that Bruce found after years of study and studying thousands of families. If you sit in this chair, the chair of compromise, you know what kind of children you raise? the kind of in people, people you've influenced, the, the kind of way you change the trajectory of people's spirit into complacency. You know why? And it makes total sense because some of you grew up in this home. Because who wants to deal with the hypocrisy of Christianity if that's all you've been exposed to? Billy Graham talked about it. He said it this way. He said, um, half-hearted Christianity is a toxin to the soul. It's like a vaccine that inoculates you from the true gospel of Jesus. This is a dangerous seat to sit in. It's not only a dangerous seat for you, but it's a dangerous seat for everybody around you. Children and grandchildren and any person you have leadership over. It is a dangerous seat to sit in. Because because the people closest to you, they know it. Right? This is what they hear. Oh, yeah, 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 Jesus, follower, God, yes, Bible, good, yes, God, ooh, yes, let's worship. They see it on Sunday, and then they see the way you act on Monday. And they see the emptiness. And they see the times that you use and abuse the word of God to beat down other people. But when push comes to shove about really calling you to transformation and you to deal with difficult things in your life, your faith and your obedience is about this thin. So Joshua says, choose this day. Who will you serve? Choose this day. Make a decision. Don't waffle anymore. This is what he said. Don't sit in this chair anymore. It's a waste of your. Life. You know what this chair is gonna do? This chair will rob you and strip you of every ounce of life you have in this world. It will leave you torn between two worlds, finding absolute dissatisfaction in following Jesus and absolute dissatisfaction in this world. It'll it'll torment you deep in your soul, and it'll rob you of life-giving, meaningful relationships with other people. It will ruin the future of those that you stand over, inoculating them to the goodness of God because seeing the hypocrisy and and the shallowness and, and, and the compromise of your faith choose this day. If you sit in this chair today, here's what I want to encourage you with. We all have a decision to make, right? Joshua, did you notice Joshua didn't say this? He didn't say, choose this day who will serve. As for me and my house, we decided 10 years ago to serve God. He said, choose this day whom you'll serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You find yourself in this season, sitting in this chair, intimate, connected with God, choose this day and choose again. Choose tomorrow. Commit yourself to following God. But if you sit in one of these two chairs, the invitation to you, the word is a little bit different. The word is recommit, is to recommit. Um, we do this thing. I want to give you a practical step. We do this thing called rooted, right? It's awesome. It's great. I've been pounding the drum for, I think, almost five years now. And I'm going to keep pounding the drum. It starts next Sunday. This one, the last Sunday, is for you to sign up for it. You can text mom at the 97,000 to get yourself signed up for Rooted. It's awesome. It's great. Here's, here's what happens in Rooted, okay? Um, these people are like, yeah, Rooted was good. It was great. It was cool to see God do a lot of things in other people. These people come into Rooted, right? Because see, actually, let me say this. The temptation is here, is when you sit here, if you sit here, which a lot of us sit here, if we're going to be honest, here's the temptation you have in your mind right now. You feel bad about sitting here. You feel bad about the weight and the impact you might have on other people. So here's what you're thinking. This year, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. And let me ask you this. How's that worked for you? Those are the words of religion. Those are the words of I will do better so that God will love me more. But in Rooted, what we do in Rooted is we try and foster a relationship where you have intimacy with God. And these people, it's just like fuel onto the fire of intimacy they already have with God. That was awesome. It was so fun to be with other people as we watch them just come alive in Jesus. These people, here's what happens. If, If you sign up for Rooted and you sign up solo, you probably sign up and you're probably sitting in this chair. If you sign up as a couple, Okay, here's what happens when you sign up as a couple. This is my favorite, okay, is when you sign up as a couple, one person sits in this chair, I can almost guarantee you, one person sits in this chair and one person sits in this chair, right? And here's how I know because after all these years, one of the questions we asked the first night is you sit in your group and we say, hey, so, um, Why'd you sign up for Rooted and what do you want to get out of this, right? And these people, like they're jazzed because they know that they're a mess. They know that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Maybe they remember days when things were like this and they want them to be like this. They're like, please, please, I want to get back here. And they're so excited the opportunity and they've heard the stories of what God's going to do. And sometimes, sometimes there's even tears and it's awesome, right? These people, they go, uh, they, uh, they signed me up and told me I had to come. And you know what happens at the end? These people, they end up over here, and they're like, oh, this is awesome. My God is so good, and he's alive, and he's real, and he's true, and, and he's changing things in me. And these people, you know what these people do? These people end up, like, standing up on top of this stool, just like, woo! You have a choice today. You decide. It's new year, new you, whatever phrase we want to use. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.